This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On today's podcast, you'll learn from two entrepreneurs that partner to take on a $14 billion industry. In this episode, you'll learn how they were able to get to $1 million in sales by their second month, what is the salary drug, why you might be hooked on it and how to break free from it, and how to know what you should do when your business is stagnating. Today, I'm joined by David Wolf and Jamie Diamondstein, co-founders from Lisa.com, L-E-E-S-A.com. Lisa is a beautifully designed luxury mattress ordered exclusively online and delivered to your door and a 2015 Build-A-Business competition winner and was started in 2015 and based out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. Welcome, David and Jamie. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So yeah, let's start with you, David. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your uh, background, how you, got, uh, how you got started, how you got into this industry? Sure. Yeah. So, um, Jamie and I, neither one of us spring chickens. We've been, uh, uh, we've been in business, both of us for many years. Uh, I'm a, I, I guess you'd call a classic serial entrepreneur, started many businesses. Uh, I'll skip the stuff in the UK where I was a strategy consultant and so on. And, uh, but do have a classic, uh, business education. I went to London business school. Uh, I moved to the States, uh, 22 years ago, actually to start my first direct to consumer business, uh, which was a disruptive business in the travel space, um, uh, and then uh, sold that business in '98, um, and subsequently worked almost exclusively with consumer products, uh, with many of the major companies, uh, major consumer products companies, advising them and helping them start new things and innovate. Ended with an innovation consulting group and design group and technology group, and was looking for. Um, the one big idea that we could build ourselves rather than advise other people. And that's when I met Jamie. And over to Jamie. Yeah. So I, uh, I grew up in a family business uh, that manufactured mattresses. I was the third generation to come into the company, uh, but spent most of my life in there as a kid. You know, I used to walk in the back of that factory with my dad. As a teenager, uh, I, I built mattresses, built box springs, ran quilting machines, uh, loaded trucks, drove trucks, you name it. I did everything there was. And uh, after business school, uh, I went to New York and worked for a bank for about four years and swore I would never come back into the family business. And uh, 28 years later, there I was. So um, I did everything from selling to uh, developing uh, key accounts. Uh, ultimately, my father turned the business over to me when I was 30 to run and, and grew it into a nice regional player. Uh, but my passion in that industry or in that business was always product design and the marketing of the product. I absolutely love designing and developing mattresses. And I, I would say that after 30 years of doing it, I have a, a pretty keen eye and sense of what works and what doesn't work. But uh, also, even though David, he can speak for himself, I, I, I feel like I'm a, a young guy. I still stay on top of all new technologies, and I'm always looking for new ways to build a better product. 
Um, and so for me, for the last 10 years, with the consolidation within retail and within manufacturing uh, in the mattress industry, I always felt there was a need for the, the business to find some way to get direct to consumer. Um, didn't know how or when or where or if, but at first it was bricks and mortar, and then it was, you know, really I felt with the Internet and the growth of the Internet it had to be done that way, but I didn't have the skill set to do that. And I think then with David and I meeting one another, um, you had the perfect match of two individuals with the skill sets that were needed to make Lisa what it is today. I mean, David's – you if you're looking for a partner in life, let's say it's marriage, not that I'm married to David, but if you're looking for a partner in life and what David had and what he had built in his business and his successes over the years was absolutely exactly what was needed to take what I felt was needed for the future of the industry and make it work. Awesome. So let's talk about the store a little bit. So when people think about, or people that are listening, think about buying mattresses, they think about going into a store, trying them out. But, you know, obviously Lisa is a e-commerce store online. So tell us a little bit more about the actual product that you guys sell. Like what is, what are the most, what is the most popular product that you sell? Sure. I mean, let me, I'm going to pass over to Jamie for the product, but first of all, I just want to kind of clarify, you know, what we are and what we do. Um, basically there are a few things that we talk about when we talk about Lisa. The most important thing is right now we only have one product. Um, and I'm going to let Jamie talk about, you know, what we call um, universal adaptive feel of the product that makes our mattress work for everybody. Um, but the whole idea and my experience led to, you know, if you can reduce the amount of choice, um, Everything in direct marketing and e-commerce is about a funnel. You're taking people from unawareness to aware to uh, some kind of interest, then engagement, mm -hmm. and then eventually trial. And any any chance you have of losing people as you go down that funnel is a lost opportunity to convert into a sale. And having started businesses with hundreds of products and been involved in businesses with thousands of products, and indeed started a travel business years ago, direct-to-consumer, uh, which had, you know, way, way, way too much choice. I realized that the way to succeed was to narrow down the choice. Didn't realize until I met Jamie that we could do it with a single product. But the importance of success here, and this is something that I learned, uh, that I knew intuitively, and, and uh, Richard Branson actually reinforced when we were uh, fortunate enough to win uh, the Shopify Build a Business Contest, be one of the winners that went to Necker Island. And, and Branson said, when you're David against Goliath, which we clearly are in this industry, the um, your product is, is hands down the most important thing in your business. Second is, uh, and, and probably as equal, is the customer experience and customer service that you provide. And he said, if you focus on having the best product and the best customer experience, then you can beat Goliath. And that ultimately, that's what we've done. And so Jamie will talk to the product. We can also talk about how we set up our customer experience. And then it's down to having great execution. And that's where really the background of my team came in. This was not a startup team that had not done it before. Every, everyone in the senior team here has launched businesses before with me, in fact. So uh, we've been down that road before. And then, and then finally, um, important to us, actually, was to have a purpose beyond profit. And, 
And it's been very, very important for us. You know, we feel like we've built a company with a soul that everybody loves working in. So when you combine a great product with great customer experience, great execution, and having a soul in your company that drives people to do things beyond just make money, to give back to the community, which is a huge part of our business, then I think you have a recipe that would succeed in, in today in the e-commerce world. It would have succeeded in bricks and mortar. It's really the essence of what makes for a successful company. But getting back to your original question, Jamie can talk to the product that we developed and, and how we managed to launch with just a single product. Yeah, so if you, if you look at the industry that we sit in you know, a year ago or two years ago, uh, it is a very confusing industry, both at retail uh, and really from the manufacturing end. And you know, obviously, I was part of that piece of it until I started Lisa. But the, the, there's one word, I think, in developing, as David talked about earlier, the best product, a great product. And that's transparency. And from the beginning, uh, we eschewed the concepts of smoke and mirrors, telling people that certain components would do things that they didn't actually do because that's what the customer wanted to hear. And so in the development of the product, it wasn't driven that we had a certain retail price point that we wanted to get to. We just wanted to build the best possible product. And going into it, my goal was a single bed, but recognized that if we couldn't you know, achieve that universal adaptive feel that David was talking about, that we might have to go with two products. But in the end, uh, this universal adaptive feel allows the customer to get on the product, and the product actually adapts to the weight and the body style of the individual. So it really uh, allows the customer to get a customized product, and we were able to do it with one product. The point being is that really knowing components and products for so long, I was able to pull together the finest components that are out there, and some of them, in the case of the top layer of our bed, which is called the Vena, nobody in the industry had ever used it out in the marketplace for this type of uh, purpose, and it went against what everybody else was traditionally doing in the industry. So we developed a product that we felt was the best product out there, and uh, I think it's proven that we were able to do our business model with one bed that had this universal adaptive feel that anybody can get on. And, uh, again, it will feel much more supportive mm -hmm. and does have that universal feel. Yeah, well, I definitely want to dive into this idea of having one product in a second. Uh, but, Jamie, so you you come from you know, a family business. I'm assuming mostly was sold offline or most of your sales came offline. I think there are listeners out there as well that are – trying to make this transition where they have had success offline and are looking to, to sell online. What was that transition like for you to, to go from, you know, a family business to now selling exclusively through the internet? Um, you know, look, I, I think that any time, you know, and for those people who are in family businesses, you know, you're, that's all, you know, that's all you've ever done. And, and they're, uh, deep ties and you're deeply rooted in your family. So the change, to tell you that it was easy, it wasn't easy, but I also knew it, at this stage in my life that it was time for a change for myself and having met David, it, it really gave me that opportunity to finally break free. So it, 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 it's a difficult transition, uh, but I knew in my heart of hearts, I had never started a company on my own. David had many, mm -hmm. many Times. And I think in my life, I finally decided that I want to be my own person and be responsible and accountable to myself. And 
my father was great to me and the family business was great, but it was just time to break away because I felt the timing was there. The industry was ripe for this disruption and, you know, it was time to take that, uh, make that leap of faith. I, I would just add, you know, I, I've advised uh, some of the largest consumer products companies in the world, actually the largest consumer products companies in the world. And I've always worked with, uh, you know, middle and senior managers who have, 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 you know, looked at me and looked at what I've done and come to my office and worked with me and said, God, I wish, uh, I wish I could do that. You know, I dream of starting my own business. And I always talk to them about what I call a salary drug. And um, mm -hmm. so se separate from, it's one thing coming from a family business. Um, it's just as hard to come from um, a corporate job or any job really where you get a paycheck every month. And, um, you know, the reality of starting your own business is there is no paycheck. And, um, you know, you can have a plan B, but plan Bs are after an awful lot of pain, you know. So, um, so you, you, have to, um, you have to really be ready and uh, you want to try and not be undercapitalized. You know, you want to start with enough money if you can. You know, if you can't, you know, at least know what your route to raising money is going to be. And then, you know, you just, you, you, you know, you need, you need luck. And, um, you know, I, I love the, the golfing expression. Um, you know, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. But I think one of the benefits that we've got here is that, you know, we're a team of people that have done this before. We know the pitfalls. We, we knew what to look for. And, um, we, you know, you get yourself in position. I always say that business and particularly entrepreneurial business is about getting yourself into position so that when the ball comes to you, you know exactly where all the other players are and you know how to pass it off to uh, to the players and you, people hold their positions and do things well. So we have a lot of management techniques and processes here that allow things to, to allow you to get things done. It, it isn't seat of the pants as you'd expect it to be in a in a crazy rapid growth startup. It's 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 organized chaos and. Um, uh, you know, I call it a, a sort of ad hocracy, so that you know there's there's things that happen that surprise you every day, but we have a way to manage those things and those surprises that allow us to tackle everything in a very professional way. But I also think, if I could add, I, I do think that you know David talked very early on about us being older. I do really believe today that there's a true benefit to startup company having people such as David and myself because we've made our mistakes in lives. And we've had our successes, and I think that all the youth we have in this company, uh, with all the energy and the intelligence that they have, really does get to reap the benefit of two guys that have been through life and have had successes and failures. Yeah, I, I like um, a couple of things that were that were said in there. So first, with uh, David, I like the idea of this salary drug. I've never heard it called that way, but when you said it, I, it made, immediately clicked in my head what you were saying. And it, this sounds like more of a mental battle that you have to go through more than anything else, like making this shift in your mind. And you kind of alluded to this because you said that the people that you worked with, you consulted for, had these sayings about, I wish I could do this, I wish I could do that. And, and just when, when, when you hear that, it sounds like more of a mental block than anything. But is there anything you can do in preparation for that? If you do want to make the jump either from a family business to, to selling online or from a day job to starting your own business, like how do you prepare? Or not necessarily how do you prepare, but how do you break free from this like grasp of wanting to get that salary dripped to you every week or every two weeks? Well, I, you know, I, I feel like it's like, so many things in life. 
Um, uh, I will, I, I, you know, I don't want to sound like the wise old man here, but, you know, I, you know, I, I was married young because I, you know, I, I met the person I wanted to spend my life with and I, I didn't think about the consequences or the difficulties of, uh, you know, of you get, you're married young, you're going to be with that person for an awfully long time. And I remember telling my wife, actually, when uh, we worked out that if you marry someone uh, and you spend 60 years with them, you'll you'll spend 22,000 nights with them. And my wife said, oh, God, does that mean we've got another 11,000 nights together? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but the fact is, you know, I jumped into that. I, you know, I, I became a very, a partner very young in a firm and, and, saw an opportunity to get out and I, and I jumped, uh, at the opportunity, not really thinking about, uh, I, you know, I understood the downside, but you know, what I, what I always do is I visualize the upside. And if you don't have a vision of what the upside, if you can't, if you can't picture in your mind what success looks like and drive towards that, um, you'll never do it. And you, you never take a leap, um, based on thinking about the downside. You just take a leap thinking about the upside. It's the same when people talk about, oh, when's the right time to have kids, you know? It's never the right time to do anything, and it's definitely never the right time to start a new business. It's just that if you can visualize success and you've got an idea that you want to go after, you've just got to take that leap. And I've had partners in the past who really have never properly taken that leap. I mean, I, there are people that I can think of as I speak now who made a commitment to me to join me, but they couldn't let, leave their their lives behind. They always had one foot in their in their prior life, and they never really made that full commitment. I remember having the same conversation with Jamie. Like, you've either got to do it, or or or, or it's not going to happen. And uh, ultimately, you know, he did it. He took the plunge. And I think that the, you know, that that's what it is. It's visualize the upside. Um, don't be aware of the risk, but don't think too much about them because otherwise you'll just never move. Mm -hmm. And I see people stagnate. I had one business once when we were completely out of cash and my partner at the time completely stagnated. He literally couldn't move. He watched the bank account the whole time to see whether the cash was coming in that we were expected. And I went out on the road and sold more business. And, uh, you know, at the end of that period, when we worked our way out of it, um, you know, he and I sat down and I said, um, you know, doesn't matter what his name was, I, but I said to him, I said, look, I don't, I don't think this is going to work because we're going to have times like that again and you can't stagnate when things are difficult. That's when you work your hardest. And if you look back at my career and you talk to the people who've known me, I think they'll tell you that I've always had a lot of fun, always lived well, but I've always worked my hardest when times are toughest. And, and you know, that's what you do, you know. So the answer is ultimately no one's going to answer all the questions for you. You're going to make the. You're going to have to take the leap with imperfect information, and you do it based on visualizing the upside, not worrying about the downside. Yeah, yeah, I really like that idea because once you do take the leap, once you do go off on your own, or even start thinking about it, that doubt hits you immediately. And if you don't have that vision, that that upside already in your back pocket to pull out and visualize, you can really get consumed by it, and you just kind of start sliding out of control from then on. And I really like the idea. The other thing you said, which is ad hocracy. But I've heard this uh, quote recently, uh, I'll paraphrase it, but basically was that the team with the best plan doesn't win the game. It's the team that makes the most, the best adjustments throughout the game that wins the game. Because you can't plan for everything. Like you said, like you're saying, there is no best time for anything. You kind of have to get in there and then make the adjustments along the way. 
And then lastly, you're talking about making that leap, making that, being able to make that leap. So I want to ask you, Jamie, like, do you remember what that moment was? You know, because obviously David, before the podcast, we were talking about your kind of roles in a company and, and David's experiences that he's a serial entrepreneur, started companies in the past. And before Jamie, you're saying that you haven't started a company before, but obviously you, you saw something and David wanted to go into business with him. So can you talk to us a little bit about that leap? Like, what was that like, you know, making that, that jump and what was that, that moment? Like, what did you have to kind of leave behind? to to really go all in well first of all there are two things you know during that startup time i got to know david a bit you know not as well as we know each other now and and our styles are different but we get along extremely well in business i think you know it's kind of bittersweet that 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 leap there was some exhilaration you know feeling that that i had made that change and was leaving what i had been doing for a long time behind and starting brand new and fresh at at the time, I was 56, and uh, it was a great feeling. And then, you know, there's this moment of you, you do question that move because to David's point, I couldn't just dip my toe in it anymore. I either had to go one way or the other. And, uh, look, I have a lot of respect for David and uh, his success in business and him being a true entrepreneur. I'm this conservative kid that, you know, grew up in this family business, a very conservative family. and you know, wasn't really a risk taker. But, you know, I had a lot of confidence in David. I had, as David said, you know, really looked at the upside potential of Lisa and what that potential was, which I felt was great. And uh, it was just time to make the move. So it was uh, it was nerve wracking. And, and I have to tell you, for the first, you know, three, four months, it was, you know, A, first trying to find my way in a new company uh, having known the same place for 30 years was, was different, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't come without, uh, pain sometimes, but it's been a great move. Oh, I mean, a few amusing things to, first of all, when Jamie came in, he really didn't know what to do. I mean, he, 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 uh, he, he sat, I'm still trying to figure yeah, it out. Yeah. He didn't know what his job <laughs> would be. Uh, also, uh, you know, some amusing things like, you know, we've grown out of the space we're in, so we're going into a new office. And when we started planning it, Jamie came to me because he'd been sitting in a general office area here and said, you know, I'm used to having my own office. I said, cool, you can have, you know, you can have your own office. It doesn't make any difference to me. And then after he sat out in this, you know, in amongst the people who really make this business hum, who sit together, for a while, he came to me and he said, "You know, um, I don't think I want to. I don't think I want my own office after all, because I, I was planning on the whole office being open plan, including Jamie and me sitting in the open plan area. And so, you know, I, you know, I think you change. And uh, Jamie has just uh, really taken to this life. And you know, let's let's also not you know mess around here. I mean, we've been very successful, and it really helps when." You've got cash coming in. We've been profitable since we started. Mm. You know, that, that, that does help things. And, you know, if I can just sort of relate back to something that you said earlier um, about, you know, how you have to kind of react to situations. You know, we've had a few challenges on the way and, and we've definitely had to react to them. And, and you, but if you adopt, you know, the plan is important. The one thing you know when you finish a plan is it's going to be wrong. No plan has ever been exactly right. You're either mm -hmm. going to do better or, or worse than the plan. But having a plan, it kind of gives you this backbone. Like when we do our staff plans, we look to the plan that we have. When we um, think about the businesses that we want to move into, 
and the areas that we want to think about developing, you know, we look to our plan and we make sure that we're that, that we're on track. So I think it gives you, um, you know, as I describe it, your plan is like when kids go to a bowling alley and they have those bumpers down the side. You know, your plan is like the bumpers down the side to keep you kind of just about in the lane. And, and what you want is after a while is to be able to remove the bumpers because you just intuitively know that something is, is on track. And then the other thing that you said earlier that I think is worth mentioning is that, you know, entrepreneurs are sort of risk takers when it comes to starting things. But we're actually relatively risk averse afterwards and we live in fear. Most entrepreneurs uh-huh. are driven by the fear of failure uh, as much as they are by the, uh, the, the the kind of glory of success. And, you know, I remember when I sold my first business in the U.S., I started it in 95 and I sold it. We started February the 27th, 1995 is the first time um, I sold a, a vacation here through my travel business and sold the business at the end of 98. And we had a, a little event and there were some journalist there and one of the journalists interviewed me and said it had really started in 94 he said that must have been a great four years I said no it was actually the worst four years of my life with one great day at the end of it and you know at at the end of the day that was an incredibly incredibly exhilarating time but to say that it was easy would be just like the the uh the, the the craziest statement of all it was every day as an entrepreneur you feel like this could be the last day when things go wrong, which they do all the time, you know, like Jamie and I would look at sales in the early days when we were getting these high numbers, and then we'd have a day with no sales or maybe one or two sales, and we'd kind of look at each other and say, is it all over, you know? And even, even today when we have a, a, a slow day, which, which still happens, you know, you just, you're driven by, you know, this fear of failure and feeling like tomorrow could be the last day unless you do things right. And I think that one of the things... Sorry to sound like I'm full of all these kind of uh, um, cliched things, but I always say, you know, if things aren't going well today, you have to do something different today if you want tomorrow to be different. And we, we're driven by that kind of uh, philosophy here that we're always looking to improve on what we're doing. We're always looking to do new things, looking for opportunities. And, and uh, you know, so we're driven by a lot of things that I've, I've learned over the years Unfortunately, you know, I have a team of people, some of whom have been with me for many of those years, and we kind of think the same way, and everybody knows what's expected and know, knows what we do. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an amazing feeling to run a business that no one's ever left by choice. No one's left this company. Very few people in my whole career have actually left, uh, my, you know, employ, employment with me uh, through, through choice. A few people have... Um, have not made it for, for various reasons. And, you know, that, that's, that's a great thing to know that you're building a business that people actually enjoy coming to work to every day. And we, we work hard at making it that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. This this idea of um, the driven by the fear of failure, I think, is really important one because that's what happens right to everybody, especially early on. And you either, I think, what you're, you're talking about earlier was that you either get caught in this like a deer in the headlights look where you just freeze and stare at the bank account and stare at the the sales, just waiting for something to happen, or you can kind of take action and start hitting the pavement. So when this kind of moment happens, where you have this almost like flight or fight or 
flight moment. And I guess that, you know, you're saying before that, that you are risk averse once you start a business. So how do you know when you should be kind of uh, hunkering down and being conservative and maybe smartly conservative versus spending money and investing in, in, in growing your business? How do you make that decision between whether you should be saving or investing when it comes to a time where things aren't going as smoothly as, as, uh, you, know, as, you, as you would hope? That might be one of the best questions I've ever been asked, actually. Awesome. Um, I, I uh, you know, I, I think that it, it's a very, very, t- I, I'm, I'm going to say, and Jamie can kind of back me up on this, I think at some point successful entrepreneurs have a sort of sixth sense and intuition. And, you know, I always talk about that to my team here. I say, you know, we're in a world now where there are all kinds of different ways to measure how things are going. Uh, but I think you can get wound up in analysis paralysis and sometimes mm-hmm. you just got to step back and do what intuitively feels right. And I think that, um, that that's where, you know, maybe the difference between ultimately success and failure is not just the way you execute, but who has the best intuition. And I, um, I think that's one of, I mean, without, I, I should ask Jamie talk to it, but I think I have a good intuition as to when, I mean, Jamie, I'll pass it to you. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with David. I think that, you know, if you, if you feel that you have to stay the course, you know, that's where you begin to get into trouble. If you have this, you know, this approach that, you know, you constantly have to be looking at new ways to do things and changing. I think David's right. I think that's the way you have to run the business. Yeah. And I think just intuitively, we sometimes when things are tough, we definitely close ranks and we start to think about, you know, what we need to do today to get back focused on EBITDA and so on. But you never lose sight of the growth plans. And, you know, we have another expression here, is, which is that every project is a green light until it's a red light. In fact, Jamie quoted it back to me yesterday on something. And we do that so that we don't allow our development projects to stop because we're dealing with something that has the immediate here and now problem. And you can always stop a project, but unless you keep it rolling, you, 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 can't, you can fall so far behind that you can never get it done. So we have a number of development projects here that are all on a green light until we stop them. And you know sometimes we do stop them before they launch, but a lot of the times it puts us in a position where we are right now where we have a number of very exciting development projects to, to, that we're about to launch, even though we went through a pretty difficult period, you know, four or five weeks ago. Um, and, you know, it could have stagnated us, but we didn't stop anything. And, uh, um, you know, we got through, um, you know, some interesting, an interesting little period. And, uh, and, and here we are, you know, we're literally about to see, I think, a period of explosive growth again based on the things that we're about to execute. You know, there's another thing, too, just kind of feeding off my personality and being candid with you. I was kind of the half-empty guy, you know, coming from the family business. Mm -hmm. And I think David would tell you, and and I think from time to time it it rears its ugly head, but I think one of the changes, and this is for people out there listening, you know, if you're a half-empty person and you want to grow and you want to develop your own business, that's going to be a tough, tough uh, a tough road to hoe for you. And I think one of the things that has been good about the partnership with David, and we joke about it, but everything's a green light. He, he preached that to me, you know, probably every week for the beginning. Everything's a green light until you get a red light. 
that really kind of helped me change my view on business and life from seeing the world as half empty, the glass is half empty, and really looking at it as half full. And I think that, you know, it seems like a small thing, but it really is a huge thing. So, so, so Jamie, when you say um, when you made this transition from thinking the, from the glass uh, half empty uh, mindset to now everything's a green light until it's a red light or stopped, um, what does that? I guess what does that mean exactly? Does it mean that you don't want to be doubting a project before it starts, or how does it? Um, I guess kind of elaborate a little bit more on this on this uh, quote that that um, and how it actually changes your your mindset. Well, I think that a lot of times, if I would sit down, I'd look at the downside, you know, and David said earlier, mm-hmm. you're going to focus on the downside, you're never going to succeed. You've got to look at the upside. And I, I think that my nature was, you know, if, if David presented something to me, I would immediately look at, oh, well, what's the downside of this project as opposed to, to, to flipping it and saying, well, wait a second, what are the great opportunities we have here and what's the great potential also recognizing that there may be some things that we need to be concerned about, but you have to look at these things positively. And that's, you know, for a guy at 56, that's a big change to make. Um, but I was open to the change and knew I needed to make that change in my life. But it's really, it, it really is just taking a positive outlook on things and just looking at the upside potential for success instead of trying to tell yourself or your team why it's not going to work. That's interesting. So I actually want to dive into this a little bit more because um, maybe this is not necessarily counter to to this this uh, this quote, but something I've heard recently that I've been trying to adopt is this phrase of "if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no," meaning that if you're not fully going to commit to something, uh, it should be a no. If you're only kind of half, you know, wavering towards yes, then that should be a no. So how do you determine which projects you should be focusing on and avoid, you know, spreading yourself too thin or over? committing yourself to a point where everything fails because you're trying to do too much? Well, I think that the green light is the hell yes. So, and the red light is the hell no. So, you know, so, I mean, we've got projects that we put a quarter of a million dollars into developing and we still don't know how we're going to execute them because until you, you, until you get to the point of, of, uh, of being able to launch it, we don't know how consumers going to react. And, so we're definitely hell yes on that project. Um, you know, we look. I don't. I don't want to kind of sound like we're preaching, but you know, we 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 try and adopt alongside all of this something that we call a top five mentality, which is let's focus on the five most important things that we're working on. So there's a sort of different pressure that stops you spreading yourself too thinly. But I'm not saying we don't. I mean, every single entrepreneur that I've ever met spreads themselves too thinly at some point mm-hmm. in time. So, you know, to say you're not going to do that is really a fallacy. And I think that's just a textbook uh, idea that written by people who've never actually been entrepreneurs. So, um, you know, I've never met an entrepreneur that doesn't spread himself too thinly at times. So um, uh, if you find one, let me know because I'd love <laughs> to chat with them. Uh, but, but so I think that the way we manage that is what we call our top five management approach, which is when we meet, we try and ask people to just share the top five things they're working on. And over time, I've discovered that if you focus on just the five most important things, it, it basically creates its own prioritization. And, um, you know, and things happen. I mean, Jamie sent me a note this morning about something that's on his top five list where I'm, I'm the roadblock. And 
you know, he knows how to how to prompt me into action. And uh, if everyone's got their own top five and other people, they're dependent on other people. You know, if they prod them at the right times, it just gets things done. And um, you know, you do get bottlenecks in the system from time to time. It might be a technology development bottleneck. It might be a design bottleneck. It might be a manufacturing bottleneck. But by not having too many things going at any one time um, and too many pressures coming from cross functions, if you like, uh, somehow, some way, you get through. And you know, you know, I I feel like I'm a kind of pocket full of cliches here but another thing <laughs> another thing that we do is that we always say uh, we always set unrealistic goals and uh, it's amazing how often um, people meet what seemingly at the planning stage are unrealistic goals so we set ourselves dates that we're going to launch things and we're normally there or thereabouts so we have a bunch of projects launching towards the end of April beginning of May and if really every single one of them had various times along the way where it could have got delayed, but I don't think any one of them is more than three or four weeks uh, um, late, and most of them are bang on time. And, um, you know, if you'd have said to any normal person, certainly in a corporate environment, um, that, you know, we're going to launch all of these things in late April, beginning of May, they'd have said, you're totally crazy. And by the way, one or two of those things weren't even on the plans when we set these unrealistic deadlines, but opportunities came along that we felt were too big and too, too great to, to, to pass by. So we've even added to that crazy list of, you know, uh, unrealistic um, goals and, and, uh, and, and deadlines, uh, and we've still managed to work our way through them. So um, I don't know. There's something that just drives you. It drives through that. Um, that the, the, uh, it allows you to seemingly spread yourself too thin, but nonetheless... You know, there's something wonderful about starting a business from scratch, and I, I will say this to any budding entrepreneur. Um, it's an amazing thing when you sit down one day and you think, wouldn't it be great to start a business that does this? And then 12 months later, 18 months later, two years later, you look back and you say, holy shit, we created something from nothing. And, you know, my whole life has been, my whole career has been built around creating, you know, things out of nothing, you know, taking you know, ideas to revenue in under 12 months. That was always my goal as a consultant. And it's by, you know, it's been my, my life for the last 20 plus years. And, um, there's just something amazing. And I, I, I see people look at me and talk about my career and it hasn't always been financially successful, but it's always been fun. Cause you know, when you, um, when, when you kind of make the impossible possible or you bring thing ideas to life, there's something just amazing to look back and say, shit, that didn't even exist. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even an idea two years ago. And I think Jamie can talk to that as it relates to this business. Sometimes he just sits there. I see him shaking his head and saying, this is amazing. So. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I, I think that's a great way to sum it up. It's, you're basically like, it's like a magic trick that takes two years to play out, right? Where you're creating something from nothing. I really like that, that, uh, that kind of mindset. It's kind of hard sometimes that people don't take the time to look back and realize like, wow, how far I've come. And I think that's an important exercise to go through just so that you don't kind of, because, you know, as entrepreneurs, you're very, you're very um, aspirational. You have great ambitions, but at the same time, it's kind of a gift and a curse because you're almost sometimes never satisfied. And I think it's important to look back every once in a while. 
Um, so I want to talk about a little of the guts of the business now. So Jamie, when you entered into this partnership with David, did you? What happened to family business? Did you have to give it up, or the, was it integrated into Lisa? Like, what what, what happened there? Uh, no, I think that I have a, a, my father and I have a brother that uh, were in the business, and uh, I had actually stepped down probably a year prior uh, as president of the company and was taking a lesser role in the business. And so the timing was just good. The business is still there and thriving, and my brother is uh, actively running the company now. And, um, you know, so it, it just, it, it all worked out. And, and I, I had uh, indicated to my brother for a number of years that, that I really was looking for a new outlet in life and something new to do. So, um, no, the, 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 the business has nothing to do with uh, Lisa, mm-hmm. and I have nothing to do with the business anymore. Okay. So once uh, you guys met, you know, Jamie and David, uh, once you guys met and you decided, let's do this, let's start this company, like what were the first steps? Like how did you set up, set this up? Because, you know, shipping, manufacturing, shipping mattresses is not a small undertaking. Obviously there's a lot more involved than selling something simpler. So what did you guys have to do in preparation to launching a business like this? Well, I think that, you know, again, we, we, there's separation of roles here and you know, and, and again, I think that, um, you know, you can look at a lot of businesses and David alluded to some of his earlier partnerships that didn't work out. You know, I think the two of us really respected each other's roles in the business. And, you know, to my point and to the very beginning, David's CEO for a reason, because he belongs being CEO. And I think in some businesses, egos would get in the way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so uh, I think that says a lot about how we started the business and how we recognize the need to respect what each other's talents were. Um, my role, and, and I knew from the beginning, my focus was to develop the best product possible to put out into the marketplace and to make sure that our supply chain uh, management was intact and that you know when that customer ordered that mattress, that the bed that they saw online and that they read about online got delivered to the home in the manner that they expected it to be or it exceeded their expectations. And that really was, in the beginning, my role uh, in the company. And then David, you know, had a business and, and understood the marketing and the technology side of it. And uh, so that's it from my perspective, David. Yeah, and, and from my perspective, you know, we were fortunate enough to have resources Um that we basically applied to getting Lisa ready for launch. Um, and, you know, I, I do tell, since this is a Shopify uh, podcast, I do tell, you know, one story that is indicative of perhaps many of the, the, the sort of micro stories that, that, that make up the, 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 the big picture. Uh, one of them was that, you know, we were building our own e-commerce platform. We'd done it before and we were going to do it again. And um, it was around... It was September, right around my birthday, September 27th uh, in 2013, sorry, 2014, we were supposed to be launching uh, in beta um, around October, November time, and uh, I, I, I heard about Shopify and um, uh, was recommended to it, and I went to see my team. Remember, this is a, a team of seasoned developers that have... You know, my our chief technology officer launched the first booking engine at Carnival Cruise Lines back in the late nineties. That, that's 
That's how long that we've been at some of these things. And uh, to turn around to them and say, you're going to use a third-party platform uh, was, was quite a shock. I didn't say it quite like that. I said to them, can we launch on time? And, uh, uh, and I said, I've heard about this Shopify. It's got all these plugins, and I've been sent all these links, and I sent them a way to look at it. And I said, you know, if you're sure we're going to launch on time on our own platform, I'm okay with that. But if you're unsure, um, I'll take responsibility for this decision um, as the CEO of the company, and let's look at switching. And about 24, 40 hours later, they came back and said, let's go with Shopify. And, uh, you know, our designers went on, you know, working on what you then had as themes. And, you know, we built, you know, we, we did some customization and we added some EDI using some plugins and some of our own development. And by uh, November 15th or so, 16th, we were ready to start letting our friends and family take a look at it. And we beta tested in December and um, officially launched in January. And, um, you know, for those that don't know, we, um, you know, we had our first million dollar month by February, actually. So uh, um, certainly by March, but we were close to, you know, we were closer to a million than half a million, even in our first month of January. So, um, you know, it's been um, an amazing uh, story and an amazing partnership with Shopify. And, you know, when we won the Build a Business contest, um, I didn't even know we'd entered it, to be honest with you. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't about, it wasn't about that. We, we made the Shopify decision because, um, it seemed like the right business decision at the time, and it's turned out that way. And uh, our relationship with Shopify has really uh, been important to us. Of course, you know, being one of the larger companies, we've been fortunate enough to get to know your senior team there. And, and I honestly admire your, you know, the company Shopify. Um, when we went to, when I went to Necker Island, I had that great fortune. People said to me, you know, did you learn a lot from the mentors? And I said, actually, I learned quite a bit from the mentors, but I probably learned more from the senior management at mm -hmm. Shopify because those are the guys that had really built a business from scratch and knew the pitfalls and had gone through the same pain um, and the same exhilaration that we were experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's amazing. One million dollar month by your second month, and I'm just looking at statistics from the 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 uh, competition winner announcement. It says here you had 2.7 percent conversions on all the visits, almost 2,000 orders, 80,000 visits over the last 90 days. I'm not sure when this was exactly published, but the point is that tons of traffic, very quick traction early on. What do you? Uh, I guess this is a question for you, David. What do you, what do you guys attribute this to? How did how were you able to get things rolling so quickly? You know, we had built e-commerce businesses before uh, for clients and for ourselves. And, you know, I, I had a team of people who were right at the forefront of understanding um, how to help, how, you know, you could use Facebook or, uh, you know, even Instagram, other social platforms and turn them into leads. And, you know, I'm not going to give away the secret sauce as to how you cost-effectively uh, drive leads uh, and then, you know, uh, uh, but, I, but I would say that, you know, anyone that observes what we do or what any of the other, you know, successful e-commerce companies do today, it's embracing, um, the, looking at the way consumers purchase today, the way they make their decisions, you know, how they're influenced into making those decisions and then finding cost-effective ways 
to execute within that world. And, you know, it's funny because Jamie was sent me a note this morning um, about, I was just talking about how actually we had, a, we had a great day in the UK yesterday. We're also in the UK and we're in Canada. Uh, we, we had a record day in the UK yesterday. And, um, uh, you know, I said to Jamie, it's funny how it's always the same thing, you know, and actually nothing's changed. And I've, I've been waiting to have a chance to chat with him. I haven't had a chance yet. Because he wrote back and said, yeah, but it's just a bit more complicated to reach consumers today. And I just so disagree with that statement. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the way that we... Uh, had to do it, you know, 20 years ago, which was to plan ahead of time your direct mail pieces and get lists and then have, you know, 72 people on the phones, which I had at one point, um, was a whole lot more, and I had TV shows on three a day, was a whole lot more difficult than putting a, an offer out. The complexity in today's world is there's just so many different technologies that you can use to measure stuff. But at the very, very core of any e-commerce business, it's um, having a great product and an offer that that, that that triggers their interest and, and then just working your way down the funnel. So um, we just understand the funnel. We understand the economics. E-commerce is a numbers game. You can you can romance your product as much, much as you want, but unless you understand how much you can afford to pay for a lead and what conversion rate you need to be profitable, uh, you're not going to last very long. And so we are, for all, for all the, you know, management, you know, lessons that we've talked about today and all the great product that we've talked about, at the end of the day, we are driven by the numbers. We look at them every minute of every day, every which way we can, and we're constantly striving for um, a lower cost per lead and a higher conversion rate, and that's ultimately how we run the business. Yeah, I want to make just one comment because I, you know, I come from the non-technical side, and I think that if you talk to any successful businessman, entrepreneur, whatever the case is, uh, there's a lot of skill that's gone into making the business successful, but you also, you know, you have to look at the elements of timing and luck. And I think when you look at it, if you, if you said to me today, uh, and I met David today and we hadn't done this, uh, I don't know that we would do it again. I think that, that, that when we met and when we did this project, uh, the timing was right, the market was ripe. And uh, the fact that David's company had all the skill set uh, from the technology side, I think, was very, uh, very fortunate. Mm-hmm. So I want to maybe close out with this. I think, uh, I think this maybe was a quote from you, David, but I think you can both speak to this. Uh, you said in a past article that success is rarely linear. You have ups and downs. It's unlikely that your first venture would be the big one. Work your hardest when things are toughest and good times will come. So for the listeners out there that are maybe has just left a failure and are thinking about starting another business, but, you know, have this kind of bad taste in your mouth from their experience. How did you, maybe based on your experience, how do you get worked up again to get into something again once you have, you know, failed and maybe failed publicly, uh, you know, from your past ventures? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I, I think that it's a continuum. You know, I, uh, as, as, as my one major failure was failing as I, I was already working on my next one. Um, it was, um, um, you know, uh, people are, uh, and this is true of America generally, I, I find having moved from the UK to America that it's a very forgiving place to, to work. And uh, people that have stuck with me throughout my career, even through the tough times, you know, I, I've had the same accountant, 
since I came here, um, the same attorneys I've worked with, and they all were so um, helpful when I had my tough times. They waived fees and uh, stuck with me and, and carried fees, wrote, wrote fees off, and were always very supportive and kind of knew that there'd be another, another opportunity down the, down the line, and uh, they're still with me today. And, you know, they talk about resilience and uh, have, uh, you know, said to me um, that, you know, I think one of them described it as a 25-year overnight success. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, it, it's just, you know, surround yourself with really smart people, people who care about you. You know, when, when times are down, you just got to look to the people who, you know, who love you and you love and, uh, and move on. And it's amazing how quickly people rally behind you for the next one. And, um, uh, and so, you know, I've been down at, you know, I've, I've, look, I, I've never reached a point where, um, my lifestyle has really been severely, severely impacted. I mean, we spend a lot of time here at Lisa, you know, working with homeless people, you know, we, we have a, a one ten program where we donate one mattress for every 10 we sell. And we have relationships with homeless shelters throughout the country and you know homelessness is a situation where the only difference in many ways between someone who is you know really struggling and those of us who are in this incredibly fortunate position to not be struggling is that at some point in our lives we hit a fork in the road and they went left and I went right and Mm. uh, and I was surrounded by people who cared and wanted to see me succeed and I think um, just you know that that's really you know the way the, the only way to describe it really is that the, the the people that have doubted me that have had negative impacts that have had negative forces around me I've sort of avoided them or or, or they've kind of just disappeared along the way and I you know I find myself in my life right now surrounded by people that and Jamie can talk to my network just people that have seen me through all of those hard times and now they're just happy uh, really happy that I'm uh, you know successful now and every success along the way the same people have been there smiling and and during the failures you know really the same people were there to sort of catch you and um so you know it's uh you know you asked me you just asked me a question which is a very emotional question actually and uh i just just if you look at my life um i'm just very lucky that there have been a lot of people in my life for years and years and years, that there isn't a lot of change among. I've made new friends along the way and new partners like Jamie, but I'm still surrounded by people that have literally been with me from childhood, you know. And uh, so, you know, that part of my life has been stable. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I think that my background's a bit different uh, in that, um, you know, kind of growing up in the family business, you know, my support system was a lot different than David's. You know, and having moved over to the other side with David, I, you know, there's a completely different uh, support system inside this company uh, that's very positive, very uplifting. I think in a family business, uh, we had our ups and downs, our successes and failures. You know, I was responsible for those. Uh, but I think many times in a family business, you're somewhat in a silo. And, you have to mentally and emotionally pull yourself through it because you're leading the troops and it was a manufacturing business and they can't see your vulnerabilities or your weaknesses. You always have to be on top of your game. 
you know, and to be quite candid with you, you know, Lisa was my uh, first uh, true risk, I think, that I took on my own. Uh, as David says, it will never happen to you again. So I think I'll stick with this for as long as he wants to be my partner. Um, but I think that David's uh, experience as an entrepreneur is completely different than you know somebody that comes from a family business because the dynamics of a family business are, are are much different. But I will say just that all of the people who you know supported me have you know, extended that to Jamie as oh, well. Absolutely. So, yeah. Oh, I've got, I mean, uh, I've told my wife many a time, it's amazing to me how many new people I've met in the last 18 to 24 months. I have, you know, and they're not just people from the United States. They're people from Australia and the UK, all over the world. And it's just been, I can't say enough. So anybody out there that is in their 50s that thinks that, they're stuck where they are. I would say to you, reassess where you are and what you want to do for the rest of your life. And if you really have a vision or a place that you want to be, you're never too old to go for it. And I would just encourage you to really not just feel like you're stuck somewhere. I don't care whether you're in a family business or a corporate job, but just really take a look at where you are in your life because you only live once. And if you uh-huh. have that opportunity to make that jump and that leap, take it. Amazing story. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much, David and Jamie. So lisa.com is the, is the website. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out if they want to follow along with what you guys are up to? Um, you know, it, it's, all, it's all there. We have a blog there. Um, you know, we have, uh, fortunately, tens of thousands of, uh, of, of fans who sleep on our mattresses. One of the things that people say to me when I talk to customers is that, you know, we're basically with them for a third of their lives. And so Mm -hmm. you can actually go out and see, you know, any number of of people that write blogs and that have experienced their life on a Lisa mattress. And I think that those are the people who are driving our success, actually, people who uh, whose lives have changed because they sleep on a mattress. And I'm not just talking about people who bought our mattresses, but, you know, go out and look at um, things that we've done at the Denver Rescue Mission or the Barry. Seattle, Seattle, the Barry Mission in New York, the uh, um, Seattle Gospel Mission, uh, many, many places at 180 Turning Lives Around in New Jersey. And, and you'll see that, um, you know, it's, it's amazing how this one little product, a mattress, that's so important because sleep is so important, um, is really, as we say, a, you know, a better place to sleep and a pathway to a better life. And that's... Um, uh, that's our, our mantra. It's what we talk about all the time and it's genuinely what we believe and it's what brings us to work every day. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.